0: We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done.
1: If you want, you can send us feedback at our email address at goinglinux at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 1-904-468-7889.
0: In today's episode, listener feedback. Hello, Bill.
1: Hello, Larry. So what's new in your world? (laughs)
0: Well, I had a nice little exchange with my web uh, hosting company about the SSL certificates.
1: Did you kill anybody? Um,
0: No, I didn't kill anybody. Uh, (sighs) Their uh, um, website won't allow me to create a help desk ticket. And their chat doesn't seem to work consistently. I can't paste anything in, but I can type. As long as I type one sentence at a time, I'm okay. (laughs) Uh, However, once I did get in touch with them and began to work with them, the issue was resolved pretty quickly. They gave me some things to look at to figure out what was going on. They insisted that the certificate was not self-signed as some of our minions had indicated, but, um, and it turns out they are correct. It was not self-signed. It turns out the issue was one little graphic element. Guess what it is. Uh, no fair reading off the show notes.
1: So tell me what this, I'm sure it's got, it's something open
0: source related, Right. Am I right? No, not at, uh, not at all. It is no. uh, very proprietary. And you remember the reason that I put SSL certificates in in the first place?
1: Because of iTunes.
0: Because of, yeah, because of Apple insisting uh, that in order to list the podcast in their site, uh, you know, the website has to have HTTPS or an SSL certificate. Well, The iTunes button on our website, on the subscription page, Mm -hmm. was pointing to an Apple site with HTTP. Mm. Okay. So, you know, they have very strict restrictions about their branding, as you might expect. And so rather than mess with that, I just linked to their button on their website. And the button for iTunes the old button is on an http site a site that doesn't have ssl certificates and of course they've changed all that to apple podcasts not iTunes anymore for podcasts yeah. so they have a whole new thing that they want you to use that says listen on apple podcasts instead of listen on iTunes well uh... Their old button is on this old site and what was causing our site not to behave properly was a link to their uh, site that doesn't have the SSL certificate. So as soon as I changed that, the padlock went on, everything works fine. Uh, There was one other change I had to make to point to the MiWi because um, apparently there's some issue with their redirects that isn't SSL certified or something. I don't know. I made those two changes and everything works fine.
1: So you you, you mean to tell me that the website was throwing up all these false uh, messages just because of one link?
0: Yeah. One link to a graphic element. (sighs) Okay. Well, anyway, now we know.
1: (laughs) Well, I had a little bit of drama. Uh, I was uh, testing. By the way, your prediction of being doing ten uh, distributions—I'm already at halfway now, so you're pretty much a done <laughs> deal.
0: But okay.
1: uh, I was testing out KDE Neon, and I was—I was—it was okay. I, I was liking it. it you know, it's—you it, know—because I told you it was so configurable and everything. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll try it and keep playing with it. But there was a uh, certain thing I needed to do that um, I had a new hard drive and uh, I said, well, it wouldn't let me copy any uh, wouldn't let me create folders or copy things to it. I'm like, "Hmm." So, I do some digging and can and uh, I know there's a way you can go into the command line, but you know, I have to look at things how a new user would look at them. Uh yeah, so
0: Yeah. to be clear, it was it wouldn't let you do this on an external USB connected ex- hard drive. Yeah.
1: Yeah. External X, you know, USB hard drive. It's a uh, four uh, terabyte, uh, you know, Seagate Seagate Barracuda. Nothing special. Yep. And so I'm sitting there. and I was like, I don't understand this. So I'm looking. I'm looking. And and uh, so I I, I said I, I told you. I said I can't get to change these permissions. You know, because again, i I know there's a way to do it in the terminal. I'd have to look it up because I I don't memorize all that crap. So you suggested just, you know, click on it on the drive and said open as uh, administrator or root. I'm like, hey, that's a great idea. I said, I didn't think about that. So what do you think happened next? Well, you already know because I sent you a screenshot of it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If you hadn't sent me the screenshot, I wouldn't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, apparently. Apparently, it, it when I when I tried to open as um, a root or tried to do uh, sudo or any anything like that, it popped up with a nice message that says you can't do this in the Dolphin file manager because there's unfixable. And I you you saw it, it says unfixable security vulnerabilities. And I'm sitting right. there going, are you kidding me? So, yeah, finally just said, uh, well, this I can't really recommend this because people do have uh, USB drives and they do want it. And, and, but I was just like, why would you put unfixable? It's like, okay, we know it's broke. We're just not going to fix it. So we're just going to disable the whole fu- uh, uh, one piece of this functionality. <laughs> so <laughs> made no sense. Yeah. You
0: know, there's <laughs> the, it may, maybe it's difficult to fix, but impossible? I don't know about that. Uh, and but, I don't yeah, know yeah. the specific details, and I'm not technical enough to be able to, you know, weigh in unequivocally on it. But seems to me like it's it should be something that's fixable. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you have to rewrite the entire operating system or something, but I don't know. It, it just well, doesn't not seem the, right.
1: Yeah, it's not the operating system. It's just the user space, the, uh, you know, your geographical uh. Interfaces, you know, that's, you know, one of the things that we always say is that when we recommend something to new users, that they should be able to do everything they can do, uh, maybe not as efficiently or as fast, but everything like, uh, you know, adding a hard drive so you can actually copy files to it and your pictures that you've downloaded from your phone or whatever. Uh, and without having to drop to a command line because you can't tell me you're going to get some 70-year-old grandmother who's going to become a command line warrior just to do these pictures. The first thing they're going, she's going to say is, uh, no, give me back my insert uh, proprietary operating system name here.
0: So Yeah. Well, you know what? I bet one of our minions is at least one of our minions knows the details behind this and Katie E. Neon and can tell us why it's unfixable. And if you're listening and you can do that, drop us a line, let us know what's going on here, because it doesn't seem right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, I mean,
1: like I said, it's um, it, it, it was a. They've done some nice stuff to make it um, make it yeah easy. They have a lot of nice tools. Kitty Neon, you, yeah, I've never seen repositories that fast. it's like uh, I, I want that program because it's kind of stripped down. They don't put a lot of stuff like they do in Kubuntu. You kind of add mm-hmm. what you want. So that was a great a great. Um, system to test out different programs, to see if they actually worked, you know, without saying, okay, let me see, and it was the latest and greatest, so, according to them, because that's their, te- the KDE's test bench, basically, is KDE Neon. Uh, it's built on Ubuntu long-term support, 1804, but, uh, yeah, you always have the, the, you know, latest KDE. I was getting updates every day, so, yeah, anyway.
0: Yeah, well, and the bottom line is if it has problems like you can't copy files to an external USB hard drive, it's not something we can recommend. So unfortunately, you need to use something else. Um, And I did. And And fortunately, (laughs) there's lots to choose from. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So shall we get into our email from our listeners? Okay, of course. Um, So our first Email is from Paul, who provided two audio clips to go with his email. Paul writes, Hi Larry and Bill, thanks for the great information you give our community each episode. I thought you might find the information in these audio clips interesting. I'd never heard this about Linux Mint before. If possible, I'd like to hear your comments on the two audio clips I'm attaching from episode 153, Destination Linux on YouTube. Michael, Ryan, and Zeb discussing. And this is the first clip.
2: Um, so there's the issue that great, it was around before the time shift happened. And by the way, time shift is not a solution, it's a workaround. Um, some people refer to it as a band aid. Uh, and the reason is because they have an infrastructure that is based on Ubuntu, but it doesn't do a clean fork. So if you do a, if you look at the difference between Ubuntu and Debian, it's Ubuntu is a fork of Debian. It's as a derivative, but it's also a fork. In that, all of the packages that are in Ubuntu are pulled from Ubuntu and not directly from Debian. Anytime you do an update, so they take all the packages at one time in Debian and then put them into Ubuntu and then they do their thing on top of that. Whereas Linux Mint has a weird thing where they sort of fork and sort of don't. They take some packages, make their own version in their own repos, and then they also use the Ubuntu repos for a lot of other things, probably most things really. And this creates an issue where there's a compatibility thing between what Ubuntu does and what Mint does. So if Mint were just fork everything, this problem wouldn't be an issue necessarily. But because they don't do that, they have this weird, sometimes uh, in the back in the day, they had that one through five priority of like our warning levels of what could be happening. And the only reason is because sometimes on the four and five, they were bringing in core elements from both their, their repo and the Ubuntu repos creating this weird mix and match thing. And it could have created an issue and they didn't have a solution for that because I, whatever reason. And it was, the solution was essentially a workaround by putting in time shift. So if something does happen they can just kind of ignore it and go back. You can just roll back into the previous version. So it does solve the user's problem, but it doesn't solve the technical issue of the disconnect.
0: Okay, Bill, uh, this thing about Mint and Ubuntu and the fork not being complete and time shift as a workaround, what do you think?
1: Uh, well, I think they pretty much discussed it at Michael Ryan and Zeb. They, they talked about it and they gave, you know, Mint does its own thing. Uh, yeah. And, you know, because, I mean, they've they've de- they developed software, fork it, and then change it how they want. You know, that's what happened. Because if you really think about it, you got Debian, then Ubuntu, and then he had another uh, Mint who forked from. Ubuntu, to they still use the base but they change a lot of stuff so yeah you're going to have compatibility issues it's just you know it's just like a copy of a copy of a copy sooner or later you know if you diverge far enough it's going to cause problems
0: right right and I see their point about time shift being a workaround for this problem I'm not sure that's why time shift has been implemented in Linux mint but a, because it's a very good backup, program. Um, But it is definitely a useful tool to work around this issue that they have. And Paul's main issue here is, if I read down in his email a little bit further, he says... I'd like your analysis. In my case, I'm using Linux Mint 19.2 Cinnamon as my daily driver. I'm not a distro hopper and have used Linux Mint for six years or more. Should I be concerned about this new practice? I don't know whether it's a new practice or not, but I'm not so sure you need to be concerned about it, especially if it hasn't caused you any issues. And if, if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of philosophy. So if this forking or not forking completely issue uh isn't really causing you any troubles then i w- i wouldn't worry about it and as the guys on destination linux have said time shift is the solution to the problem if something breaks you use time shift to roll back and work from there so i think I think it's covered. I don't think you have to worry about it. You can continue to use Linux Mint for many years going forward if that's your choice. Uh, On the other hand, if it has given you trouble and you're always restoring from a time shift backup, then maybe you should change to something else. But if that's not the case, don't worry about it. That's kind of my opinion. What do you think, Bill?
1: Yeah, if he's been using it for six years and it's still working... Uh, don't follow my example. If it's, you know, I, I break things just because I like to break things. If it's not broken, just continue using it. You, know, when it starts causing problems where you're, you know, you can't get your work done, then you might want to look somewhere else. But if it's working for you, use it and abuse it until you just can't you know, use it and abuse it anymore. That's, that's what I'd say. Just, you know, I wouldn't worry about it.
0: Yep. Okay. And then his clip number two is about PPAs. We'll play that now.
2: The the problem that the PPAs have is back they they still have the problem but it's not as a, as not a big a deal as it was then uh because in 2015 is or so I realized they had this issue and what it is is that there's this priority system that it's built into Linux. Every Linux system has a priority for the repos that you can pull from. And this is set, you set a number value for that priority for the repo, and it gives you a uh, list of being able to control the order of when something is pulled from. So, like, for example, Ubuntu by default, their repos and basically every repo, uh, Ubuntu provides or PPAs are all set for priority 500. And the way that you can change this number, and it will change the priority, but you don't actually have to do that. All you have to do is make sure that your the repo you want to have priority is set higher in the list so it checks that first and then goes into the rest. Now, this is a, a good solution, and that's not what Mint did. Instead of that they they do have it at the top, but they also change the priority system for, or the priority number for their repos and they have it from seven hundred to seven fifty depending on which repo you're talking about now what happens is if you install a PPA, that PPA is set to five hundred and it creates a conflict between what no matter what order it is, the repo for mint is automatically taken over because of that priority number so if you install if you want to install an application. And admittedly, this is a rare thing because you have to you one, you have to find an application that is in both the Ubuntu packages, the mint packages, and a PPA uh, so that they have to they had to have pulled it from Ubuntu, made their own version, and then you also install a PPA to get it. You'd have to do all that. So it, fair enough, it's not a huge issue, and especially not with the flat packs and snaps and app images anymore. So it's, it's still it's less so. But the structure is still in place where when you install a PPA and you install an application from that PPA, you will not actually get the application from that PPA because the priority of Mint takes over. So you're pulling from the Mint repo instead of the PPA you just installed. And the only way to fix that is to manually change the PIN number or the priority number for uh, for the re- repo for Mint or to manually install the dev package from the PPA, which will then force... The particular PPA to become priority. And then it will start I I called nonsense on this live with you on the phone. Right. And then we did a test. And unfortunately, you were correct. Uh, it installed the old version instead of giving me the latest version from the PPA. It installed the old version of the package from their software store and ignored the PPA entirely. Hmm. Which
0: and and really that's quite shocking for a, a new user that's just learning about um, Linux. And and I'm assuming it's going to do that for the Nvidia drivers as well. So you're wanting the latest 440 off of the Nvidia PPA, and it grabs the three the 435 off of Mint.
2: It's, it's possible. The, the, the issue really depends on if, if Mint decided to fork it in their repo or not. If they didn't fork it, then it's not a big deal. But if they did, right. then it would be. Well, the first issue is you're running NVIDIA. The second issue would be how Fair Mint handles that package.
0: Okay, and he continues, PPAs and priority. I really don't understand the technical parts of the discussion, but I'd like to get drivers and other software that is the latest. If I have to use a PPA to get it. Question, generally, should I be concerned enough with these issues to change distros? Let me just weigh in here. Again, it's it's a pretty technical discussion, yes, but essentially what they're saying is that the PPAs that they use, PPAs for new folks are personal package archives. It's a way of putting additional software that may not be part of the standard distribution Out available uh, and it may not get the same scrutiny as other packages but it's a completely acceptable way in in Ubuntu to uh, provide software updates and it looks like the Linux Mint folks have a system of priorities that overrides the standard way of doing it in Ubuntu distributions which is if the PPA is on the top of the list that's the one it'll pull from Uh, And the Linux Mint repositories take precedence over that set of priorities. So if there's a more recent driver available in a PPA than there is in the standard Linux Mint repositories, with Linux Mint, you're not going to get the most recent drivers. And I suspect that the reason they do that is because the Linux Mint repositories have drivers that they've tested. And the PPAs, like I said, don't have the same scrutiny as the Linux Mint repositories, or the software in the Linux Mint repositories. So I understand why they do it that way. Uh, And there are ways to lock the version of something that you're using so that if you have... A driver that has version A for example and version B comes out and Linux Mint is going to always default to version A because it's in their repository and version B doesn't you can set in Synaptic or even on the command line you can lock the version that you're using so that it will always use version B if you can get it to install the latest version then you set the lock before you do any updates and you're all set so that's kind of where we're at. Um, and again, is to answer your question? Is it a serious enough problem to switch distros? No, I don't think so because the Linux Mint team is trying to keep you safe by making sure that the drivers you're using are the ones that they have had an opportunity to, to verify and vet. And if they haven't taken a look at the most recent driver, then they're not going to let you use it until they have. And then once they've looked at it, it'll be in the repositories and you'll get the latest version of it. So Paul, I think that's my opinion. Do you you agree or disagree, Bill?
1: I agree. I agree with what you said. I'm sorry, I was looking through something real quick. And yeah, everything you said just makes sense. Uh, They're just trying to keep it um, as as safe as they can for their users. Uh, between the guys that were discussing it, some of them kind of saw it, and some of them kind of disagreed. And in the real world, that's probably not going to be something that you're going to be looking at if your Nvidia card works or whatever. Um, most of it's for Nvidia cards, I think. Uh, if it's working, why you know you don't need the latest and super greatest. You know they're going to release it as an update or in the next version. So if it if it's working, just use it and don't worry about it.
0: Yeah, you know, that's a good point. If um, If you're using a driver and you don't need the additional new functions that the update to the driver is providing, then you don't need that new version of the driver if everything's working fine. So Paul wraps up his email saying, my experience with Linux Mint has been a very good one. I haven't had any problems with system updates since installing Linux Mint 19.2 Cinnamon several months ago. Well, Paul, if that's the case, keep on using Linux Mint. Seems to be working for you.
1: Yeah. Our next uh, email comes from Daniel, and he asks about using no monitor. I am trying Fedora 31. Since I use Orca, the screen reader, I need no monitor. But when the monitor is off, the computer does not want to work. Is there a way to tell Fedora not to bother with the monitor?
0: Yeah, have you explored around with the uh, settings for displays or power on Fedora?
1: Uh, no, uh, I haven't, but I have a Fedora uh, distro that I'm looking at. I can always look at it when I load it up and see. But yeah. Um, maybe there's something in the software that's you know that's telling it does does Orca need a monitor to be to to work I mean there it would have to i guess it' be part of the input, wouldn't it
0: No, I don't think so. I think Orca because it's a screen reader it doesn't uh, I wouldn't expect that it would require a monitor. I'm thinking it's something in fedora and I'm not a fedora user, so i don't I'm not familiar with the the settings but l- looking at ubuntu based distributions i know there are settings for displays i know that you can turn off or on displays in those settings in the display settings and i know there are some power management settings as well that tell your computer what to do When on a laptop, you close the lid, which is essentially a switch that turns off the display in many cases. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would suggest, Daniel, whether it's a laptop or a desktop, see if there's a setting in the power management somewhere Mm -hmm. that allows you to change the behavior when the display goes off or when the laptop lid is closed or when certain situations occur that might be similar to... The monitor power going off. And make sure that that is set to do nothing or whatever the equivalent setting is. And in Ubuntu-based distributions, typically you have three settings. There's do nothing, there is suspend, and then there is power off. Uh, And depending on which distribution you have, you may have all of those options or some subset of them. Uh, And if there's something going on with When you turn off the monitor, and I'm assuming this is a power switch on a Mm desk-based system as opposed to a a laptop or something like that. When you power off the monitor, then Orca stops working or Fedora stops working or something like that. Um, I think that it's probably a power management setting, but... I'm not absolutely sure maybe there's something else in Fedora that makes the assumption that you need a monitor to use the system and it checks to see if there's a monitor and if not things don't work but uh yeah, so Daniel's saying that when his monitor's off, the computer doesn't work, not that Orca doesn't work, so hmm, i'm I'm thinking it's a Fedora setting or maybe you just have to make a tweak in the power yeah. management or something similar
1: yeah i don't uh I don't know about Orca.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to our next email. This one's from Nathan, who wrote us about OpenSUSE and their EULAs and gave us some feedback on our episode 383. Greetings, long time, no right into your show. I'm still listening and enjoying some advice on doing upgrades in OpenSUSE. And when we were listening to... I think it was George or someone who was reading through EULAs and had to scroll all the way to the bottom on OpenSUSE. Maybe it wasn't George, maybe it was somebody else. Uh, But Nathan says to skip through the EULAs on OpenSUSE when doing upgrades from the terminal with Zipper in the terminal, just add dash L or dash dash auto agree with licenses. After you read, it the first time this is an issue with nvidia drivers too Uh, specifically this option will automatically say yes to third-party license confirmation prompt by using this option you choose to agree with licenses of all third-party software this command will install this option is particularly useful for administrators installing the same set of packages on multiple machines by an automated process and have the licenses confirmed beforehand Example of use, so this would be a command you would type in the command line, zipper space update space dash dash auto dash agree dash with dash licenses. Keep in mind that OpenSUSE gives you the ultimate control over your system, but with the added benefits of passing control over to the system. Thanks again for your show, Nate, Cubicle Nate.
1: That's a cool trip. Yeah. All right, our next email comes from George, uh, who also wrote about episode 383 f- from December twenty sixth. He went, Hey, Larry and Bill, best wishes as we head into 2020. About the EULA episode. Virtual box is free. Virtual box extensions are not free for business use. And I remember the discussion about the wife who needed to run Windows on her computer. She needed it for work i tried virtualbox and needed the extensions oracle is darn near as litigious as apple (laughs) the extensions are sold in large enterprise packages cdw has a single install listed at forty dollars from a third party seller before buying i want to be uh, to be sure that the third party seller had the right to resell part of the bundle purchase or better yet if it is oracle itself and it gives a link it will be in the show notes
0: yeah and by the way i took a look at that link and uh-huh. for $40 you have to order a quantity of 100 oh so yeah so you got to spend $400 lovely
1: yeah, okay, so then he says there's, a, there's alternative VMs. Jupyter, Jupyter Broadcasting's Choose Linux number 25 just discuss virtualization. Some far geekier than I would try, but also GNOME boxes that, that sounds promising and relatively straightforward. I just checked the GNOME boxes apparently isn't restricted to pure GNOME desktops. And he gives links to the Choose Linux show and to uh, the GNOME users and uh, and, and to the link that talks about the GNOME uh, boxes stable. So before going farther in, I listened to that episode and they were talking, uh, one of the hosts got, got all really geeky and was using Zen and all this wild stuff to, and, and he was able to get really good uh, results but definitely not for a new user and then uh, I think one of them uh, was uh, was saying yeah she just, they just use GNOME boxes and it works really well for them so
0: GNOME yeah. boxes
1: is, is really lightweight not a lot of switches to flip and stuff so yeah it, it's probably if you just need to throw a quick uh, VM just to see what it looks like uh, GNOME boxes are probably uh, Work. Uh, I did. I have had trouble with it running non Debian based uh, distros. Cause I've tried it, and it didn't like. Uh, it didn't like Sabian. It didn't like uh, OpenSuse. Uh, it didn't. It. It, uh, it didn't like. Uh, uh, I think it was Fedora 29. So, anyway, it, I guess your miles will vary. But it, it if it's a Debian based uh, distribution, it, it worked pretty well. So and he goes on and says he, about the certificate issues. He said Firefox raised no issues when I just visited your site. And he said twelve twenty nine nineteen at about twelve twenty Central Standard. So I hope you have that fixed. Sadly, I think it is potentially dangerous to advise users to ignore the certificate warnings. I've not taken the trouble to go fetch certificates for our. our several Synology NAS boxes but rely on my Synology self uh, signed certificate. These are internal to my home and work network, so I just click through the Firefox option to ignore the warning and proceed. Out uh, on the general internet, I'm very concerned uh, the failed certificate might be a red flag alert about a man in the middle. Interception, of all or part of a website, ignoring it could feed malware right through a user's uh, browsers. Your problem wasn't really your problem unless we consider a flaky hosting company as your problem, but failed expired certificates could also be a tip-off that a website author isn't paying attention to basic security. WordPress installs that aren't secure and regularly updated are a common hazard. And then he uh, continues and he says, money, uh, in past years, I've been honored to be able to send in a few dollars to support your efforts. I'd be willing to mail a check or if uh, Gmail still has the feature th- that enables sending money, I did use it once and it worked. I'd write and mail or click and send. George.
0: Well, thanks for the offer, George. Certainly unnecessary. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And certificate issues. Yes, we've got them fixed. And it was, as I said, the one single tiny little graphic file that was on a site managed by Apple that does not have an SSL certificate on that site. So once that's fixed, it's no problem anymore. And so, uh, you know, not a problem. However, your point is well taken. As a general rule, you shouldn't just click through ignore. Uh, And, you know, that people who have been using Windows XP and now Windows 7 uh, who get the warning when they start up their computer that says your computer is now out of support and click through dismiss because that's what you have to do to use your computer. Yeah, it's kind of like that. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, thanks, George. I appreciate it. All right, our next email is from Highlander, who wrote about mass surveillance countermeasures. <laughs> Can you figure out, he says, how Linux could play a role in mask surveillance countermeasures? Can you tell your audience your opinion on this? He provides a link. We'll have it in the show notes. And that link describes things like special glasses that make your head glow if you're being caught on infrared cameras or other special glasses that uh, sunglasses that normally an infrared light will pass through and give the you know um, the software that that identifies people the ability to see through dark sunglasses well these sunglasses actually make that black for the um, <laughs> for infrared light and they talk about the the problems with uh, uh software excuse me with um facial analysis systems false positives or false falsely identifying people uh, and all that sort of stuff uh, it's it's a lengthy article but it's got a lot of good information and the bottom line is yes there is a lot of surveillance out there depending on what country you're in it, that will determine how much is actually there some of it you may know about because you can see the cameras some of it you may not know about because it's surreptitious and you know yeah um there's an old saying about those people who give up security for convenience deserve neither uh those who give up security for safety I'm not sure that same thing applies, but we've got to be aware of this stuff that goes on. And this article gives you some thought-provoking things to look at and read. So what's your opinion, Bill?
1: Uh, it's, it's Governments all over the place are putting up more and more cameras. But I, I did read this uh article and uh there or one very similar where they, that someone had uh used a computer to design uh, a shirt that when a camera saw it it's confused it
0: <laughs> right right yeah
1: so that was kind of yeah but i think the surveillance is going to be around and there's not much we can do about it i mean we can try for privacy protections and stuff i mean if you really want to get down to it, we're kind of doing it to ourselves too, because everybody that's you know, putting up all those ring doorbells, you know, with the cameras, those are all days going back to, uh, the isn't it Amazon who owns ring,
0: you know, so hmm. I don't know whether it's Amazon or somebody else. Yeah.
1: Some, but, but, but now the police can actually just uh, pull the video from your ring doorbell. So we're kind of doing it ourselves too. We're putting them in our houses. Uh, and, um, you know, at our doors. So every time, you know, unless it's something that you're self-hosting yourself, uh it's going. You know, the, the data is there. Someone's going to take it. And so, I guess what we have to do is kind of, you know, try to set some boundaries and some guidelines. Uh, that's about the only thing to think of because, but you know, yeah, they say London has uh, cameras everywhere, and in China, I was just watching a documentary. They're putting more and more cameras of all time. They have more cameras per capita than, um, uh, you know, most countries uh, or two or three countries combined. So, you know, the more, the more of this, uh, you know, surveillance, the more data they're going to get. And it's it was pretty fascinating what they're able to, to, to learn from just watching people.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't know really what to make of it, but we've discussed it.
1: Let's let's uh, cut all the power and live without power. Or oh, wait a minute, that would, no, no, let's not do that. Yeah, you know, without power we couldn't podcast. So <laughs> anyway, our next uh, email comes from Daniel, who wrote about Manjaro Linux, and he said with no Orca. He said, in times past, I would want to try Manjaro and try to start Orca, and would hear no speech. Does Manjaro come with Orca built in? to the installer. Uh, Some installers have no Orca. Um, How may one write to the Manjaro people? I use no Facebook nor Twitter.
0: Okay. Well, uh, as far as I know, Manjaro does not install Orca by default. And I've looked at the Manjaro user's guide that's on their website and I don't see any reference to Orca or to the accessibility software that would give you a screen reader. And I couldn't find an email address on their website, but you could post something into their wiki, which is at wiki.manjaro.org, and perhaps someone there could answer your questions. Um, I'm a little surprised they don't have any other way to contact them, but
1: they don't have forums?
0: No. Well, they have the wiki. I think that's how they have the forum, is in a wiki format. Oh, so, well, okay. Right. But there's no email address or direct contact link. And unfortunately, it doesn't say anything about it that I could find in their user's guide that's on their website about Orca or screen readers or accessibility. So, um, you know, not being a regular Manjira user, I can't speak from experience that it's not there. It's just, they don't mention any voice to speech or Orca or anything like that. Hmm.
1: Uh, That's kind of strange that, well, it's it's strange that they don't have Orca, but it's also strange that they don't have an email address. Yeah, exactly. uh, Forms would be just so easy. I mean, if you have a problem with, uh, with, uh, you know, uh, Ubuntu Mate or MX Linux or regular Ubuntu or Zorin, they have forums or an email that you can reach out and say, uh, hey, can you help me? <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of strange. That they, they use a wiki for everything.
0: Our next email is from Michael, who also wrote about Linux, this time Linux Mint and Orca. Hi, Larry and Bill. I am now running the latest version of Linux Mint. I think it's 19.3 with Orca. I managed to run Mint as live from my DVD, and Orca no longer gives me that problem of speech on followed by speech off just a few seconds later, as though some bright person (laughs) may have disabled Orca from running, perhaps just because they might have accidentally enabled speech and perhaps not known how to turn it off. The two problems I had when first getting used to Linux Mint were the graphical update manager. The other problem I have in Mint is that speech doesn't always start during login, but that seems to be a problem with Ubuntu overall. I am running Linux Mint Mate as I'm not sure if the other desktops yet work with Orca in Linux Mint, Michael in Baltham, West Yorkshire, UK. And Michael, I do know that the Mate desktop has done a lot of work with accessibility and has done a lot of work to make sure that Orca works out of the box and works with whatever distribution of Linux it's installed on and you're using Mate as a desktop. Linux Mint Mate, one example, Ubuntu Mate, another one, who have done a lot of work to ensure that that configuration Works out of the box at startup, at login, so that our blind users of Linux have a tool that they can use right as soon as they start their computer, instead of having to um, having to fumble their way through the login screens and uh, wait for the desktop to come up. So there you go. Uh, Yeah, stick with Linux Mint Mate if that's what you're using, or Ubuntu Mate, if that's what you're using, those are the two best, in my opinion.
1: Okay, Uh, our next email comes from John, who wrote uh, with a Thunderbird backup and restore question. He writes, Hi guys, Happy New Year, and I hope all is well. I wanted to know if I do a Thunderbird backup on a Windows PC. Can I restore the backup onto a Thunderbird install on a Linux distro? Thanks for your time, John, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, and I I saw that, and I was thinking about that, Larry. It, the backup it really isn't it doesn't care what operating system you're running, so he should be able if he has a backup Windows and he's and he uses Thunderbird, it should be just a, a simple. I mean, no, no, they still use the same the same type of uh, file format for their backups, don't they?
0: They do. And it used to be that for Gmail and for Thunderbird and anything Mozilla, you just take the Mozilla folder or the Thunderbird folder from the computer you're starting from and copy it to the computer you're putting it on. And if you're moving from Windows, of course, the directory that it'll be in is in Windows somewhere, I have no idea, uh, but uh, in um, in uh, Ubuntu-based distributions, it's usually in the uh, configuration folder, which will be a dot folder, so it'll be hidden by default. Um, you drop it in there, or there'll be a uh, Mozilla folder, or there'll be a Thumber- Thunderbird folder. Just drop the contents in there. And there'll be your profile and all the other stuff, including your mail and everything there. And it'll just work, uh, regardless of where you pick it up from and drop it off to. Now, I did, in researching this, it's been several years since I wrote an article on how to do that. So I did a little bit of research to see if that's still possible. And I found one post on someone who was having trouble and they said that windows had or mozilla had disabled the ability to just move that so i don't know whether that's actually true or whether that's someone's misperception i only found the one post saying that and I didn't see any responses to that post, so I don't know what the resolution was for that user. But as far as I know, you can still just pick up the Thunderbird folder, put it in the appropriate place on Linux, and it should work fine. Okay. Okay, so Ken wrote us about VPN and password manager. Bill, Larry, I'm trying to improve my internet networking security. I use Linux Mint and Android on several computers phones. First, I was looking at something like Bitwarden for the password manager. However, I ran into problems with QRZ site, which is a ham radio logging. I could log in, but it wouldn't let me look at my database. After removing Bitwarden extension, it went back to working. Of course, I haven't thoroughly worked this problem. By the way, the current method that I use to manage passwords is that I keep a list of all my passwords on paper. I have no physical security problems. It's just me and my wife, retired, and a few others passing through. I use decent passwords of 10 to 12 characters, uppercase, lowercase, numbers, symbols. So, unless I have better luck with the password managers, I may stay with this. Use slightly longer passwords, change them more frequently. But, I got reading about VPNs. Do you use a VPN? I am looking at getting one of these to improve the overall security. Any recommendations? I realize this is two subjects. Security is a subject area that you all may want to cover as a podcast subject, article, or video if you have time. I appreciate all that you do. I know that each of you are very busy in your day jobs. Thanks, Ken. KB4XT. Well, any thoughts, Bill? Do you use a VPN? Um, or password manager
1: i don't use a pass well let me rephrase that i i have used a password manager I, I just can't be bothered to actually reinstall <laughs> installing uh, i i have uh i I kind of use the uh pen and paper method uh because really it's me and my big goofy dog so you know if they want to come and search my emails there's not they got to get into computer first but they're not going to find anything interesting so you know or they could read the show notes to the future shows larry i didn't think about that yeah there you go uh, yeah so That's we might have true. to uh, yeah we have to keep those in the lock and key but uh, as far as vpn i don't use one um but i i would uh I would use one if I was traveling to uh, like other countries. Maybe they have like if you were going to visit China, you can use v- VPN to actually uh, you know use uh, services that would be blocked in China for for most of the citizens. Or uh, there's some people that are traveling over here and like if you're from uh, Great Britain, you know they have a bunch of uh, like shows at the BBC that. And if it's are in America, uh, it won't let you play them. But if you use a VPN, you can tell your uh, your data to come out in uh, Great Britain, even though you're in America. So you can you can still get the shows or the news or whatever you want. The one thing you gotta worry about VPNs is, um, and this might not you know you might not like it, but stay away from the free ones because. You know, you don't know, you have to trust them with your data. You need to find one. They're pretty cheap now, but you find one that you You know what their security practices are. Uh, I know, um, I can't remember what it is, but if you're looking for a VPN uh, on uh, Twit, Leo uh, uh, has mentioned a few that he likes because of their the way they control security and stuff. So you might want to... Uh, give him, give them a, li- a listen. Uh, I think you can. We re- also read. Uh, they have some open show notes, and at, at, uh, I think it's called Tech Guy Labs. And you don't even need to sign up. You can just go and and read what was said. And they, and they talk about VPNs quite a bit. But yeah, I really don't have. I'm not transmitting any super secret data except uh, show notes for the Going Links podcast or uh, an email to Larry saying, "Uh, Hey, Larry, I broke this again, you know, type of deal. But other than that, (laughs) (laughs) so uh, it depends. I mean, do you think he really needs a VPN? I mean, if he's just, I mean, he says him and his wife are retired. I mean, I, I don't think they're... I don't know. Yeah, You could use it for banking and stuff, I guess.
0: Yeah, and if he's looking to get access to stuff that's blocked in the United States, um, uh-huh. uh, I happen to know that he's in the United States. Like you were saying, with television programs and stuff, that might be the reason for using it. Other than that, he probably doesn't need one. Other than for work, I don't use one. For a while, I was using OpenVPN, and I had it on... Um, all my computers, because it was part of the browser, if I remember correctly. And uh, my work provides me with a VPN that is required to be on to access anything uh, on the work site. So I use that when I'm using my work computer. And the reason I'm not using that VPN solution that I was using for a while is because I forgot to turn it off one day uh, when I was browsing, because it was browser-based, uh, and I was syncing my browser settings, I um, I had it on in addition to the company's VPN, and I got a call from the company's security department saying, um, are you running a VPN in addition to our VPN? And I said, I don't think so. Oh, wait. Yeah, sorry. And I had to turn it <laughs> off. So... Good news is they're paying attention. Uh, bad news is uh, using one that's browser-based may not be appropriate when you're also using a VPN for work. So there you go. And uh, it was it was apparently using a lot of uh, cycles of the company's uh, you think uh, internet connection. So anyway, uh, yeah. And as far as a password manager is concerned, we've talked about password managers on the show. And, you know, certainly having the pen and paper version of the password manager is as digitally secure as you can get. No one's going to hack that uh, digitally through your computer. So that's probably a great way to do it. My Again, my company provides LastPass as a password manager, and they allow us to use it for personal use as well, uh, set up a separate account and use it for personal use. So I use that. Uh, if it weren't for that, I'd be using some other of the solutions that we have, keypassx or something like that, one of the ones that we've talked about in the past. So uh, you might want to check through our show notes just to see what we've talked about, and there are plenty of them that are available for Linux, but also cross-platform if you're using multiple operating systems on different computers, or even on the same computer, and you want your passwords available on everything. So. Um, unless you're having problems with the pen, uh, which, you know, just go buy a new pen. I, I don't see a need to uh, to have a password manager if it's working for you.
1: All right. So our next email comes from Darren, who gives us feedback on Zorn.
0: Hi, Larry and Bill.
1: Thanks for the latest series. It has kept me entertained while I go around and around mowing and baling my hay. I took particular interest in the presentation from Bill on Zorin OS. I was so taken, in fact, I splurged. First money I have spent on anything Linux and ponied up for the ultimate uh, version. Man, was I initially uh, disappointed. Even more so when Bill soon after dumped it for something else. But
0: we should all... Well, we knew that was going to happen, but anyway.
1: Wait a minute now. Uh, Before I go on, (laughs) before I go on, I am still running uh, Zoran on my test machine. Okay. It's still running. I could take a picture.
0: Uh, We believe you.
1: uh (laughs) Thanks, Larry. Uh, Anyway, continuing, he says... Having run uh, Mint Mate for the last few years, anything different was going to be a shock. I thought I was prepared for that. My biggest beef was the difficulty in enabling multiple workspaces. I managed to get it working, although they seem to increase in number dramatically now rather than just being the fixed four that I am used to. As it turns out, the shock was shortly as Zorn is humming away nicely, on my regular old Lenovo T420 laptop. It integrated quickly with my regular-use utilities, the Dropbox, NordVPN, and Chirp, and seemed very stable. Thank you both for your co- uh, content. I hope you and your families have a wonderful holiday season, and I look forward to a new and exciting presentations in 2020. 73, Darren VK6EK.
0: Yeah, so well I'm glad Zorin is working out for you. And that thing with the virtual desktops or the workspaces, yeah. I found that a bit troubling as well. Um and I don't think it's a Zorin issue. I you think don't. it's a Gnome 3 issue or a you know a Gnome uh, issue that the workspaces you have to enable them using a command line command and then once you've enabled them, then it makes sense that you can go in and create new workspaces as you need them. But it's not there by default on Zora and I found that and I had to go to some forum posts to figure out how to how to make it work because I knew it had to be there. but I suspect that it's um, a gnome thing since ah. they're using plain gnome the the tools that are used for, settings and setup and so on are gnome tools and i think uh, if i'm not mistaken i think it's a gnome limitation
1: yeah so you know it's it's uh january 26th as we record this i don't know what he means by jumping around i've only jumped to five different distros testing them out oh oh, wait a minute we're still in january 11 more months to go (laughs) yeah Uh, Yeah, uh, but no, I still have a Zorn. I have a, my test machine, who has two hard drives in it now, and Zorn sits on one of them by itself. And then I've got a few others. I got Zorn Light on another partition, and so yeah, I mean, I still like Zorn, um, but you know, I got to test. I got to test them, Larry. And that's what I. That's all I'm going to say about it. I like to test them on bare metal. I guess I could do it in virtual machines like we've talked before, but some you know, it's kind of hard. To, give an honest review uh, of a distro in a virtual box, because you, you really can't get the, you know, you, you don't have the, P, uh, the graphics pass through uh, on some virtualization, and that's way too t- geeky for me to do it, because I blow away machines pretty much uh, weekly, sometimes daily, and uh, yeah, and then the performances, you know, the overhead, so I just, yeah, I guess I just like to do things the hard way
0: right well and an important part of adopting linux is the hardware compatibility and you don't get that if you're in a virtual machine so yeah it's, it's important to test that
1: thanks Larry. you you, you may you make me feel better but you're still going to, i'm still going to exceed your prediction
0: yeah i i suspect so if you <laughs> tried 10 distributions all of last year and you've done five so far in the first month of the year and it's <laughs> hey i don't have yet. a
1: pro i don't have a problem i just i'm just uh, uh naturally curious uh yeah so all the, can, yeah,
0: can, yeah you, there's no problem in switching distributions you can stop anytime you like right? <laughs> yeah yeah okay i'm glad we agree okay let's move on yeah Okay. Uh, Our next email is from James, and this is a long email. We're going to break it up into three parts. He had written us some time ago with hidden gems to share, and this is hidden gems to share part two. My apologies for a delay in making part two of hidden gems. Spent several months distro hopping, trying other system D free distros. I tried MX Linux. Okay for beginners, but bloated like a beached Whale. If you strip away too much excess, you end up breaking parts of the system. Also, MX Linux lies about being systemd free. System D is installed, but quote, supposedly disabled, unquote, as I found and confirmed by their website. I tried anti X Linux. Uh, also good for beginners and faster than MX Linux, but only due to using Fluxbox, IceWM, or JWM instead of an actual desktop. Of those three options, only JWM offered a panel similar in function to those included in desktops such as GNOME, XFCE, or KDE. I also found Antix as bloated as MX Linux. I found three browsers installed during installation. Other systemd free distros, Star Linux, Crows Linux, and MyoLinux. Linux, I felt they were too stripped down too much. I am back to DevOne 2.1 and happy to be using it, uh, using the XFCE desktop fast and stable.
1: Okay, can I? I want to put some input before we go any farther. Sure. Um, about i just want to clarify i'm actually recording on an mx linux machine and it okay. does have a lot of of software installed but all of this stuff i would install anyway and it's just some things that make life a lot easier like uh able to use the mx tools to adjust your grub boot menu with you know right from a nice friendly um uh gui um or, uh and th- as far as uh, it, yes, he is sort of right about the system uh, system D. System D uh, is in the system, but it's not active. They use what they call shims, and the shims uh, are there uh, because there's some software programs and they actually uh, explained this on their website that the the system D shims there, uh, and you can enable it if you want. But those shims there, so applications that require SystemD work. So it's, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that uh, it's beach well. I, I haven't found anything on, um, on MX Linux that I would consider bloatware. There's not a lot of games. There's a few simple games. But, you know, there is... Uh the XFC runs super fast. I mean it runs faster than Ubuntu GNOME. I think you could compare Ubuntu Mate and MX Linux for speed wise. I think it's it they're within a maybe a point to each other, probably a little bit, uh on certain things. I mean I haven't seen any speed um differences. And I know there's a whole thing about the system D and why it's bad or why it's good or but right now, there's programs that need SystemD, so they put the uh, resources in so you can actually run the programs uh, that require it without actually having it active. So good on them for that. Uh, I don't quite understand what the controversy is behind SystemD. Maybe I should read in more about it, but uh, you know, Ubuntu has System oh, SystemD in it, doesn't it, Larry?
0: Um, you know what? I haven't really been paying too much attention to oh. the system D and issues around that. So I can't really comment. I don't pay uh, much attention to that. Whatever they provide is what I use and seems to work. So I don't care.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway, uh, I just had to say that... Uh, that you know, I think that M, uh, the uh, MX Linux runs really great, and uh, probably because, you know, he said the Antix, they're kind of like brother and sister distros, so they share a lot of resources mm-hmm. back and forth. So sure. Uh, anyway, um, so James continues. Sorry about that. I just wanted to you know clarify a little bit. I, I they're basically there is software shims the help programs run that require system Okay. Pain. Okay. So, James continues, and now to the gems. For those using the XFCE desktop and use also instead Pulse Audio, there is a volume icon applet that works in XFCE called XFCE4-Mixer, a great replacement for the built-in Pulse Audio volume control with almost no tweaking will work on newer distro. Gem two, for Debian users tired of hearing people say that Debian users are stuck with old versions of applications, add the lines below to the repositories and synaptic uh, package managers, then click the reload button and, and mark and mark for updates. And I'm not going to read all these, uh, but they're, uh, I'm just looking at them. They're just, uh, I guess, new repositories.
0: Yeah, what he's doing is he's adding the Debian.org stretch, so Debian stretch Uh, main contrib non-free repository, and then the stretch updates, Debian security updates, and the stretch backports for the contrib space uh, non-free repositories.
1: And and he says, and voila, Debian and uh, Devon users are now running uh, with more updated applications with almost zero chance of breaking your system. If running Debian 8.10 e Buster, just replace the word stretch with Buster as you type or copy and paste into Synaptic. And James had more to say.
0: Right. And gem three, he says, instead of installing the separate applications, browser, mail client, IRC client, and calendar, consider installing CMonkey and get all-in-one, and assured compatibility between applications. Like Firefox and Thunderbird, SeaMonkey can be tweaked with add-ons. There is also a website add-on converter for SeaMonkey to get extensions not found in SeaMonkey's add-on website. Last, for now, I reached out to the creator of QMPlay2 application. That I fell in love with and spoke about in my last email and got permissions from the creator to create a Facebook page for users of QM Play 2 to share tips, tricks, tweaks. Programmers are also welcome to join. Please spread the word. Well, we will and we'll have links to all of this stuff that James has sent to us in the show notes and he writes forgot to mention that cmonkey can also function as an rss feed reader so SeaMonkey can replace four separate application james in indiana well thanks james yeah thanks, uh, James. lots lots of good information there as always we appreciate that we'll share it all we'll share your links and you're all ready to go thanks
1: yeah, thanks for all the tips and tricks and all that hard work. I really, really do appreciate it.
0: Yep. Well, what do you think we're going to do for our next episode, Bill? We've got a user experience episode to go.
1: Yeah, I haven't. I'm working on a few things. I hadn't decided which one I want to use. So, how about we just leave it as a surprise?
0: Okay, our next episode will be a surprise. Okay. Until then, <laughs> you can. <laughs>
1: Until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe.
0: Yes, we are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done.
1: And if you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining discussion in our Going Linux podcast community on community.goinglinux.com.
0: Until next time, thanks for listening
1: before i say 73 like how many times have we read that and we still mess that up
0: <laughs> i don't know but you're right that's why i have it written <laughs> <laughs> anyway 73